Welcome to episode 34 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. We've had uh, a week off after Melbourne Cup week, Daz, but uh, how'd you go with the Melbourne Cup? Have you got, uh, do you sort of catch the fever every year now that you're in Australia? Yeah, I get swept up in it for sure. So we had a we had a blast. One of our our um, crew won the best dressed, which was a magnum of some beautiful champagne that we managed to make our best dent into. And uh, so I didn't win, but again, the same bloke also won the fifty dollars sweep. So he got a a nice haul on number twenty two. So yeah, it was a good time. the The hangover was was painful, but the um, <laughs> it was a it was a lot of fun. So yeah, we're... yeah. I was hung over on the Tuesday, so I took it. Over. I took it a little bit easier on the actual Tuesday itself. But uh, thankfully, I backed the winner. But uh, that was reinvested uh, well and truly by day's end. Anyway, as, <laughs> as normally happens on days like that. So we'll move on that NBA, Daz. And since we last spoke, so probably the biggest news that has broken uh, has been the Eric Bledsoe trade uh, to from Phoenix, of course, to Milwaukee. Uh, it was the trade was Eric Bledsoe obviously goes to Milwaukee. Greg Monroe back the other way to Phoenix, as well as a heavily protected first rounder, which likely won't convey until about twenty twenty. But I guess there's there's a slight chance it conveys across the next two years. But uh, I think it's eleven to sixteen uh, this year, and uh, around the same, maybe eleven to eighteen or something like that the following year. Um, but twenty twenty is much more likely uh, about when it will convey back to the Bucks. We've seen a couple of games. I mean, Milwaukee obviously had a very lucky win on Saturday uh, in San Antonio. Got a few calls <laughs> down the stretch. I know you're <laughs> in agreement with me on that one. Uh, and another win today uh, with the Lakers. But what did you sort of say? I mean, I'll get my, my quick take on what I saw, and then I'll obviously also get your opinion on the trade. But what I saw is much more intensity, and we saw even today that the Bucks have kept the Lakers under 100 as well. So a lot more intensity on the defensive end there, whether that's just the whole group becoming locked in. Bledsoe certainly looked very, very good on that end of the court. But what's your sort of early takeaways and what's your thinking overall about the, the, the trade and the value of the trade? Yeah, look, uh, uh, overall, pretty excited, I guess. It's a, you know, there's a player who, I think we covered last time was um, his value had been torpedoed by his club. So it was, you know, it's a nice sort of asset when, you know, a player himself hasn't torpedoed his value. You know, it wasn't because of injury or because of underperformance. So really nice opportunistic um, trade. And again, very, very just things, things work out where Phoenix happened to be looking for short-term money. And that was a tough thing to bring back to match the dollars but have it being an expiring. And so that was the Greg, Greg Monroe obviously being included as a package along with this strangely protected first. So um, in terms of value, absolutely. Um, I was hundred percent for it. We would have, we've been talking for a while, you know, just about the, the limitations of Brogdon and Delhi, just, just no speed, no diversity amongst those two that kind of play a similar style of game. So um, the, the style of play, is a great fit, I think. He's got some speed, he's got some power, and he can defend. He's a willing defender, or can be, I guess, at point of attack, and we'll find out if, um, as you hinted at, these last two games, which is the first two games Bledsoe has played, their intensity has been like I haven't seen the whole season. So in terms of value, uh, really good. Monroe definitely will be missed in the locker room. That's been a pretty cl- close-knit team. 
a lot of continuity the last few years. So, you know, it was a, I think he said he was blindsided and some of the bucks you could see were down. Him and Brogdon have a bit of a bromance and so, you know, a bit of an impact there. But look, it's a business and, I, you know, they'll get over it in the next week or so. So, um, yeah, it'll change their dynamic quite a bit, you know, with no no more Monroe off the bench. That has the um, all the center minutes falling to Henson and to Thon. And they, the impact of that is that we've seen them get muscled, right, with Monroe out and now him traded. They see him, they got trucked by Kevin Love and trucked by Dwight Howard and um, and a few others. Drummond, you know, bashed their heads in. So they, they've been getting beaten up inside. So it's nice to see... You know, again, from my perspective, obviously not a great game for you or you know for you to lose that one, the Spurs game. But to see the Bucks survive, right? I thought they were going to get blasted by Lamarcus and Powell and stuff inside, and the arms and legs everywhere. I mean, they forced 18 turnovers and got 10 steals, and Bloodsell was right into it. So that the energy was different. Um, the defensive intensity was different with him for sure. So I think it's going to be a really good fit. And I'd, it's enough of a, you know, it's a little bit of a risk dealing a first rounder, but as you said, it's probably going to be a 2020. And given Giannis's ascendancy, this team's probably now got a floor that's even higher than pretty nice floor. You know, all things being barring injuries, this is probably a playoff team the next, you know, the next while Giannis is still, uh, still here. So uh, good value, really good opportunistic sort of trade. Lucky that Phoenix just wanted expiring so the Bucks could, protect kind of their young core like a Thon and a Brogdon and giving up Monroe and again two games in but it feels like a really nice fit so yeah Yeah, win 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 I think there's a move to be made from both sides so I think Phoenix uh, the the word is they're going to flip Monroe maybe for another second rounder who knows what sort of value they're going to get there so that's going to be obviously the overall haul for them on this trade uh, and from the Bucks side of things, I think there's definitely has to be another move that they need to make. Um, to your point about the centre combinations, uh, Lamarck's Aldridge actually really dominated early in that Spurs game. And then the second half, they just got very busy with the hands and just every time he had the ball, there's just hands slapping at the ball and he, he really struggled with that trying to get his shots off um, in the second half. So... Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily a sustainable way of dealing with that sort of a boost down low. Um, and there's other players in the league that will take bigger advantage of that. So there's, there's certainly another move to be made, how they're going to get their hands on the centre, whether there's another trade they want to make. Um, you know, I don't really see anyone in the buyout market, uh, you know, but unless sort of Denver bought, bought out to Kenneth Freed or something like that, maybe a bit later in the season. Um, but... As I say, I think that that's going to how this roster sort of fits out is going to be fascinating to me from here because it's an, it's yeah. an incomplete roster at the moment, but a very um, a very nice start at least two and zero in those two games. But really, I, I was much more focused on the defensive end. Is he going to make an impact? And he was. I mean, he got in the he was in Paddy Mills's head. Uh, he was in that. Spurs game and you could just see by the fourth quarter the Spurs and they sort of closed the within two the Spurs and I thought okay you know we're in a good position to go on with this but they were just seeing shadows down the other end and it was just hot potato stuff or guys trying to go off the dribble because they were afraid to pass so it was and you know you, when, when you sort of get in that mode um, the passes can have a little bit too much zip on them and they're a little bit behind people and there's just sort of that that 
that panic sort of creeps into the offense, and that's what I that's what I saw, and it reminded yeah. me of what I saw from Toronto in the first round playoff series last year as well when Milwaukee had it going. So Jason Kidd would feel very very good, and Malcolm Brogdon, his offense has really looked good off the bench. So the bench unit, if if you can get another center, particularly a guy that can score. Um, as well as sort of score and rebound, I think they need. I don't necessarily think they need rim protection as such. Um, and that's you basically just want to try and replace Munro. So, uh, but I like what I'm seeing from Brogdon. Um, he might have taken a little bit of a step back defensively, and, and there's word that maybe there's an ankle injury or something that's been affecting him there. But offensively, yeah. he looks even better than he did last year. Kid finally admitted, he said, um, this goes back even to the draft. I guess Brogdon has a foot thing. Like something they were worried about being chronic for his career. So I don't know exactly what that is, but they've hinted that this foot thing is limiting his lateral quickness. And I think that, again, they don't want to, no team likes to paint excuses for their guys. But you're right, straight ahead, front, uh, straight ahead speed. He looks good with the ball, but he's been, man, he's been easy to get around, you know, on the defensive end. He has not been, not been the defender he was last year. So Bledsoe will be a nice helper and, um, in that regard, for sure. They, I guess the, the rumors are, you know, that's, these are rumors. These are, I, I have no idea if these are actual calls from John Horst to, to executives, but the, or if these are just a theoretical Twitter sphere. But I guess the rumors on the Monroe side is the, you know, Cleveland, of course, is very, quote, very interested in Monroe. And I think with the, um, I think the, obviously the Suns holding him as an asset, their asking price will be far lower than what the Bucks' asking price would have been. So we'll see if there can, you know, if he could find a match with a, a nice team like Cleveland. I'd love to see, I'd love to see Monroe get a chance to go into a nice, to a deep playoff run. Um, so we'll see if that comes to fruition. And then again, the other theoretical fit, you know, again, murmuring around between Gary Wolfel and the Racine Times is the notorious, you know, um, <laughs> rumor stroke speculation character in Bucksland. And then Sherman from the New York Post is that Kyle O'Quinn. You know, the way he's played the first, you know, couple of weeks in New York. And young guys like uh, Willie Hernan Gomez, who has a lot more upside than Kyle O'Quinn, not getting any minutes, you know, behind Zinger. And then with um, uh, Noah coming off a suspension, you know, there'd be a little pressure, I think, to play Noah. And Noah, who, who knows, Noah still might have some value on the defensive end and maybe have some neat stretches where he's, you know, anchoring a five and let Zinger kind of play some four. So... That's a that's a new sort of theory. Is a Kyle Quinn type would fit nicely in Milwaukee, but but we'll see. We'll see. Um, but but just back to the just the general fit, and then we should probably move on. But it was um, again, it's you know being a Bucks fan, I watched most games through the Bucks lens. But I listened to Manu uh, Ginobili after the game said that um, they struggled in the third quarter. They being the Spurs, and that's when the Bucks built that pretty big lead, fourteen sixteen. And it was because of this, you know, he said they were they were pre-switching, they were pre-rotating. And he said, we struggled with that. And he said, by the fourth quarter, he said, we kind of had it figured out. And we're getting a lot more open looks, but it was just too little too late. So mm. from, a, from a fit perspective, it was nice to hear, you know, basketball shaman um, and still flopper. That motherfucker can still flop and get a call. <laughs> that just, it just gets under your skin. Like that was an equal skin game where I think Delhi played really well, so I think we were both equally equally frustrated at points in that game where where Manu and Delhi are doing their things. But uh, um, just from a day one fit from Bloodsoul perspective, and have Manu sort of acknowledge that they were flipping around and making it tricky for a, 
perhaps the most intelligent team in the league. Mm. You know, get their offense going. That was a you know data point number one, but nice to hear from Manu. There's two. There's two things I'd quickly say before we move on. I think there's some worries for me with Milwaukee. Are they going to be a good playoff team? And I'll, and I'll bring this up for two reasons. One. I think to to the point that Manu's made there, I think the Milwaukee defence, when they're operating like that, can catch you off guard. But if you're then able to game plan for it, is there going to be a plan B for Jason Kidd? Uh, Because if you're able to game plan for it and understand what they're doing defensively, then particularly a smart team like San Antonio can make adjustments. Now, San Antonio can do it within games. Most teams within the playoffs obviously may do it game to game. Um, so I'd be I'd be interested to see if that's going to be just, that's the way we're playing defence every game. Whether it, mate, This might have even been a specific San Antonio defence or how they may change it up if a team works it out. And that, that's obviously going to be a, a question mark for Jason Kidd. The other thing I noticed in this game was uh, the Spurs really forcing Giannis into a lot more mid-range jumpers than I've seen him taking in any other game this year. Now, he still put up a very nice stat line, and uh, Pop had a nice quote after the game just saying, look, he's he's now just looking to destroy you from the very first moment of the game. But the Spurs, better than any other team I've seen, really kept him out of the paint. Um in terms of where he was taking his shots, he seemed to be pulling up. And again, I wonder if in the playoffs, when teams have time, the game plan for Giannis, is it going to be a little bit easier to force him into those jump shots? Uh, and that's obviously the next next step in development in his game. Because if he starts hitting that jump shot, does he's literally undefeated. Yeah. yeah, he's... So, fair observation, and that's the... The growing, as I think we hinted last time, where I said if the Bucks make a trade, actually we hinted offline, it wasn't on the pod, was I said, with Bledsoe now, um, this is year three of Jason Kidd's high-risk, high-reward defense, not actually providing any rewards. You know, they're down in the, they were still 27th or 26th in the league um, in defensive rating, and just not generating the turnovers, which is the theory behind this defense, which is a turnover-heavy and they've got a phrase, you know, they don't like any, they don't want fastballs being thrown. They want, as you said, they want passes to be little, lobbed a little bit high and they come a little bit slow when they're a little bit outside so that when the other teams are catching it, they're just a little bit out of position. So it hasn't proven benefits. And so that that's where the, where the seat under kids have been getting hot now with Bledsoe. Um, uh, you know, their asset base, their talent base is now higher. His seat is officially warm. There is, this is no longer uh this team has enough defensive talent as individual talent. It's got to be, they have to finish in the, they've got to go from 27 to something. I don't know, 18th, 19th, even, even get near the midway point for this to be a team that has a chance in the playoffs. Cause you're exactly right. The defense is on the, um, is going to be the challenge on offense. I think Giannis is really excited. He even said so the last couple pressers is that he, whilst he loves having the ball, and as sort of Pop said, Giannis knows how to kill and how to attack. But now if you've got Bledsoe who can also create and let, let Giannis, you know, let Bledsoe draw a double team. And now, now Giannis has space to roam on the weak side or with cutting or lanes or alley-oops. That now is the new sort of the new stuff on offense that will get opened up for Milwaukee, which could see them even, I think they could be a, a top five offensive efficiency literally by the end of the season. Mm. So it'll well, be interesting. You're, but you're right. I think the defense will... For me, the defense will be the thing that says, you know, uh, four months from now is this team a is this team a legitimate threat to a Boston or a Washington or a Cleveland in a seven game series? Yeah, 
Middleton really impressed me in that game too. His passing, his vision is, is getting better and better um, every time I see him. So, um, And he hits some shots. When he's hitting shots, obviously, that, that raises the ceiling as well uh, for that team. Yeah. So, uh, interesting to watch the Bucks going forward. We're going to move on, though, Daz, to our good, the bad, and the ugly for weeks uh, well, essentially week three and four. Um, we've been sort of keeping a bit of a spreadsheet on this, so we're going to refer to that. Uh, I'm going to lead it off with one of the things that I noticed, and I can't believe I, I was out on this team, as you know, uh, the towards the end of last year when they first made the, the big trade. Now, I'm talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, I'll tell you what, Daz, I've watched them a couple of times already this season and another good win today over the Clippers who are sliding and having the injuries that we sort of feared may happen to them. Um, But the big thing I'm noticing is they're having fun and they they seem to really enjoy their basketball. I've seen Boogie get a couple of calls against him. He might pout for a play or two, but that's it. He then gets on with it. And him and AD together offensively are unstoppable. And they're playing reasonably well on the defensive end. They're certainly not getting uh, caught out as badly as they were. Obviously, there's still no bench play coming from this team, but Etwan Moore's looked good. Drew Holiday sort of brings it night to night. You never quite know what you're going to get out of him. Jameer Nelson's been a, a decent, steadying influence, but really it has been the, the Cousins AD dynamic um, that I've been far more impressed with than I thought I would be and it just really does seem to be working. They are 7-6, they've had a reasonably easy schedule to start with but I think I would not be at all surprised to see this team go on with it and actually make the playoffs this year. Yeah, I'm uh, I think that's the, I, I haven't seen them too much. I watched um, a good portion of uh, Pell's Toronto, which is a game they happen to lose, but a Really tough, really well. This is a really good NBA basketball game. Um, two different, very different styles, right? Um, and that's the game where you saw when when Holiday is when Holiday is on, man, he makes a big difference. But I again, I didn't like the fact that you know, like Anthony Davis only had oh, let me pull it up fourteen field goal attempts in that game against Toronto. They lost one twenty two, one eighteen. And Cousins shoot twenty four times, and Holiday chucked him. Holiday was on fire. Um, getting to the rack, beating Lowry, nice pull-ups, some floaters. He hit 14 out of 20. So I saw that game, but um, so that game probably wasn't the great example to see what you saw, which is the the Cousins and Davis interplay. This was mostly a, a Drew Holiday game, and, and Cousins was chucking from everywhere. And I still don't like how he's – I don't love Cousins out on the perimeter, though. He took 10 more threes in that game against Toronto, and I go, I, if he can shoot it, that's great, and I get the theory – to, to space the floor, but I'm just, I continue to find myself so angry that D. Cunningham or T. Allen or C. Whomever or, or isn't going to be R. Rondo. I'm just so angry that they don't have someone to space the floor that lets Cousins bust heads inside and, and try to crash the offensive glass and, you know, allow for a post or a repost, you know, that can pull some defenses. So AD can be more, you know, more of a uh, sort of cutting sort of player. So I'm, I haven't. I guess I haven't seen the the fluidity that you've talked about, but the, they do seem to be playing with with some joy and with some happiness. So that's a, that's a very fair call. Uh, there is something. There's a different culture, I guess, or something. Maybe it's just because they've beaten up on some crappy teams and are winning a few games. But maybe that's you know those go hand in hand. But so far, yeah, so far so good. They're, they they could have been, as we said, if this team would have started say, you know, five and eight, you know, four and nine, you could you could have seen the 
it get ugly quickly. But it's, so it's nice that they're nice that AD's at least got something to play for night to night. Yeah, I saw them in the win against the Pacers. I watched quite a bit of that game in the end, and uh, it was a close game. They only won by five in the end, but uh, they really they just they they executed better than what the Pacers did down the stretch. It was not something I was expecting going into the, watching that game. And as I said, they were locked in. You could see the bench was sort of up and up and about. And it's just a totally different dynamic, I guess, from what I saw last year. And that's what jumped out at me. I saw a team that was really miserable. I thought Boogie Cousins is going to be out of this place in a year. I'm not so sure now. I think they're enjoying their basketball. And, and I think they can see they've now got a point of difference on... Or, well, every other team in the league, really, with having the two skilled big guys, uh, because no one can match up on them, including Golden State. They're yeah. suggesting they're going to beat Golden State, but th- that's that, that's a team that, sticking on offense, no team is going to be able to match up on. So it's, they're a fascinating story, I think, it's, and a team that's much more entertaining to watch than I thought they would be uh, heading into the season. Here's a perfect player, though, for them. Imagine if you could put Kyle Kuzma on the New Orleans Pelicans. I know he was yeah. one of your goods. I want to throw to you, Daz. What have you seen from uh, Kuzma? He looks like the real deal. He he looks like a... Um, how old is Kuzma? Is he, was he a senior? Did he play a bunch of seasons? I'm just I'm suddenly brain-locking. Because, um, can you look that up for me? Because that's yeah. embarrassing. I'm looking is he like there. a 22-year-old? I was going to say, he plays like a... 22-year-old, like yep. Yeah, okay, so that's right. He's he's got some experience. He, he plays like a Brogdon rookie, right? So you can see. Um, so what? Uh, again, I watched Bucks, and I won't talk about the Bucks. I promise. Um, <laughs> I watched Bucks Lakers today, and um, Kuzma can play. Kuzma started, and you can see why he's already leapfrogged Brandon Ingram in the starting lineup because he can get out there, and from the minute that ball is tipped, he's he has deliberate run. I saw him make some cuts to the basket. I saw him off the bounce. Like take one to the hole off of it was against Snell or Middleton. I forgot. It's a, a really nice, a really nice strong take and finish at the glass against you know nice long defender. Here's the biggest difference between him and Ingram. Ingram's in his own head at the moment, so you can see Ingram gets the ball and he's he's thinking, oh what what should I do here? Am I open? Should I shoot? Should I pass? Should I drip? Kuzma's just as soon as he gets the ball, the decision's made. I'm going to drive this time, or he's yeah. straight up and taking a shot, and he's doing it in the flow of the game. He's not thinking about it. Uh, he's playing with confidence, and, and Ingram just never has quite developed any confidence since coming into the league. Um, but that's what's impressed me. He's just he's hit the ground running. Um, and again, you know, you get these picks in the thirties, and we said it at draft time, didn't we, Daz? If you pick these guys that have been a little bit older been in the um, college system for a lot longer than what the one-and-done guys are, that's where you're going to be mining for gold, like a Kyle Kuzma, like a Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, so he's he's been impressive. I mean, it just he really passes the eye test. I, know, I don't know. I guess it's... I think this Lakers team's probably a little more competitive than I thought they'd be. Um, they played... You know, Lonzo had a really nice game today. But you just see that ball move uh, really fluidly. So you just, what a great fit. He, so you're at, he could fit on New Orleans. He could fit just about everywhere. I was thinking, right, one of the, the places I was so angry, the two teams I was so angry with at the draft, which was Indiana taking, you know, taking rigid TJ Leaf, you know, t- taking like a, a junior version of Ursan Ilyasova and Portland taking a, you know, giant Swanigan. I go, those two teams in particular could use a 
really nice long scoring three stroke four. I think he's a he's probably a really nice three in the NBA at this point. Four from maybe he can be a four. I guess he's a three four. Who cares? He's a wing that can shoot and do a little bit of everything. So the love the pick. Um, you know, good on fucking good on Magic Johnson and team for him. I hate wishing the Lakers well, but it, man, it's nice to watch him play. So I saw some Ingram. Yeah, you know how much I've beaten up on Ingram. He's had a few good games since our last our last potties. You know, at least hit some shots, which is a step. Um, so he had a few games where he's shooting fifty percent. So that's a step. You know, he had a couple seven for fourteen, maybe a twenty point game here and there. So there's flashes of scoring, which is a start. Mm. But you can see it. I can just you get the sense as well, right? Kuzma is already ready to play. NBA caliber basketball whilst Ingram still has got a developmental curve, you know, just to get himself out of his head, slow the game down, be more deliberate, know where to be, you know, know how to be all those sorts of things. So mm. maybe that's the nature of taking 19 year olds in the draft, even if they're from Duke, that's, you know, it's just maybe the nature of this beast. So good on Kuzma. Well, and magic Johnson to, to your point earlier that, that uh, he's had a very good start. Uh, and I understand Palinka's obviously making some decisions as well, but Josh Hart's looked good in the limited minutes that I've seen of him. I've actually watched a little bit of the Lakers so far this year, and he's yeah. looked good when he's come in as well. So it looks like they might have gone through for three in their first draft. Which yeah. If, if, you, if you're batting at those sort of numbers, yeah. um, you, you can't you can't ask for much more than that. But what other good things have you seen, Daz? If you, have you got the spreadsheet open or anything else you wanted to talk Yeah, look, I, I may just pick up just a few, just a a couple of dot points I go it was just nice to get the um you know uh Ben Simmons every week you know so this, I think I put that last week and then you know I think you you put him down for this week he's just a special player um they had a really interesting game until they got until it wasn't interesting against Golden State it was fun to watch him sort of run around with the big boys um so that was been fun I also saw a couple times it was against the Knicks and against the Bucks the Bucks played very very early in our I guess right after our last pod, but Malik Monk, I saw Monk um, twice just go uh, uh, Vinnie Johnson or young Jamal Crawford, just go absolutely explode, run down the court, off the bounce, pull up three from 27 feet and hit three or four in a row, just creating his own shot, instant offense, uh, kind of those demoralizing shots, right, where he just, the guy is so, he gets so hot there's nothing you can do. Um, he, he moves pretty well without the ball, and so he's just a little tiny crease. He'll come off a slide off a sort of a down screen or something, just catch it, bang, he's got a quick release. And so it's been fun watching Malik Monk, even though it was against the Bucks and against the Knicks, watching him explode off the bench is a fun – it's just fun watching a kid just swagger and, you know, do a Nick Young shimmy and get the shoulders going and just fucking crowd loves that stuff, so – Mm. He's been fun to watch. Have you seen? Have you seen any flashes of Monkey? Have yet? not seen anything. Yeah. I saw him against the Spurs, and he scored two points and looked terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think that he's going to have games like that this year. Obviously, he's not going to. But but he has had the white hot games. It was funny against the oh, Knicks yeah. because when he did it against the Knicks, all the Knicks crowd were just distraught. Yeah. And then That's Frankie right. um, Nilakuna actually came off the bench and played really well in the second half, and they actually came back and ended up winning that game. So it was a typical roller coaster of emotions in Madison Square Garden, which is. Uh, but they're they're sort of on a high at the moment with uh, the the play of Kristaps uh, Porzingis. 
He's been yeah, uh, the sure. leading scorer in the per game average in the NBA so far this year, and he's just uh, gone to the next level that I don't think even he, even the most optimistic Knicks fan would have expected. Yeah, he's taken a massive leap. He's still behind Giannis, but nice try. Um, yeah, <laughs> I thought third, on a though, per he's... game basis he was ahead of Giannis, but maybe it was at total points. I, I read. Yeah, something. He's third. I think it's Giannis, Giannis, Harden, and Zinger one, two, three. But he's been amazing. Yes, but that the, the point was around Monk, and that was a and Nick, uh, Frankie Smokes looked really good. And I, like I've said before, I couldn't believe the Knicks were playing competent, you know, professional basketball. So it's been. Um, Nice to see Kylo Quinn and good on Hornacek for, um, as I've said before, he's come out and said, I'm going to play the guys who earns minutes. And look, there's some trouble brewing out there. So we'll talk. It's not quite bad or ugly, but um, there could be some trouble brewing now that uh, Noah's coming back off suspension because uh, Mingus is basically hasn't played and he's frustrated, right? Guys in the last year of a contract looking to get minutes and, and get some run. Um, so he's not, you know, he's not super happy. And uh, Willie Hernan Gomez, I think, had earned, definitely from last year, I thought he'd earned his minutes, and he's not playing much either. Again, again, you just can't take, you can't put uh, Zinger on the bench very long. And O'Quinn, mm. it's been just so solid. So they got some, you know, it's a good problem. You know, they've got players who are performing, and they're actually converting into NBA games. It's not empty calorie stats like, you know, like we used to see in the Sixers or perhaps even the last couple of years of Lakers teams. Like they're they're winning NBA games. And so, um, well, we'll see. We'll see. I don't want to get too much bad there because it's a nice problem to have. Oh, the problem for them is that the players they're getting rid of really are all um, front court players. So, yeah, obviously, you're trying to offload. Cantor. Sorry, I was just. Yeah, Cantor's playing. Cantor's now starting. So, sorry, I was just forgetting. There's someone else who's chewing up a bunch of minutes, and it's, of course, it's Cantor. Yeah, there's just a log jam there in the front court. So, you want to get off Noah's contract, clearly, but you're probably going to have to put Hernan Gomez. Uh, with that to try and sweeten the deal yeah. and then who's going to want to take on two front court players particularly in today's NBA so no. that's yeah. going to be the, the, the issue for them it's not that easy I want to quickly talk about another rookie I, I watched Sacramento beat OKC uh, a couple of days ago now and I just I was taken by De'Aaron Fox just just not even so much that he played brilliantly his, his shot still needs a bit of work but just I, I love guys that have got that alpha dog mentality and you could see because he was on the court with Russ Westbrook who's really the ultimate alpha dog in the NBA in terms of his personality and attitude and he was just like I'm not taking a step back in this one and he he led uh, Sacramento down the stretch in that one they won that one they then beat Philadelphia the next night and he hit the the winning shot in that one really liking what I'm seeing and actually um, Justin Jackson's played a couple of nice games for Sacramento so all of a sudden I know they lost pretty badly today against the Knicks, but some sort of some light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, for the Kings. Um, and they'll probably have a good good draft pick at the end of this year as well. They're, they're clearly not going to be one of the better teams in the NBA. So, But some things to be excited about there. Um, have you caught any of the Aaron Fox so far this year? I caught early in the season. I guess I think it was the Suns game, one of the few competitive games the Suns played early in the year. Um, but yeah, I've definitely seen his quickness. They've got scoring problems, though, right? I mean, the leading scorer. Do you know who their leading scorer is? I'd guess Zach Randolph. It's fucking Zach Randolph at twelve point eight points per game, right? So, <laughs> look, I, I'm, I'm for the team like that. I'm actually just cheering for the fan base, right? They've had such a 
has such a dedicated fan base up there in Sacramento. And then, you know, Kevin Johnson pulled his strings to keep him there. And you, just, you don't like to see teams like this lose, you know, 10 or 11 or, or 9 in a row like I think they did or lost, maybe it was 8 in a row. But they, they were not competitive for quite a while. Then they have two really quality home wins against um, the Thunder and the Sixers in a really exciting basketball game. So, yeah, and of course, Fox was a big, big part of that, that 76ers game. Mm. But uh, So, no, I haven't, I haven't seen too much of him. Um, but uh, well, I did like what I saw. And was, this is going to be a theme the whole year. If last year's theme was, you know, the, the unicorns and the triple doubles and MVP race, my God. Or just you could talk about the top twelve rookies and the top fifteen rookies. It feels like almost every single night. Mm. So it's that's my overall sort of good is that the rookies just keep on rookieing. There are now eleven rookies in the NBA already averaging ten points a game mm. at this point of the season. I and I was doing my own sort of quick assessment. I go, oh, where would Brogdon, last year's Rookie of the Year, sort of land versus his class? And I'm like, man, if I even had to squint and be confident, I'm like he's maybe the sixth best seventh best you know maybe mm. you know amongst this sort of class and so that's how good this class is it literally you probably have I dare I even say the you know seven eight players who would be better than last year's rookie of the year which is it's just fun it's just really fun to watch mm. well let's move on to the bad Des. uh and there's a couple of bad things um that i know you've put down uh i might throw to you first so the first one you had was brian colangelo and i know this was a bee in your bonnet from last week i'm guessing it's around the julie Locafor situation how they've sort of handled that um if you're not aware julie Locafor, his contract uh, was not extended so he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year but he's basically now just sitting on the bench languishing with uh, no value and uh, they're not really going to let him looking like they're going to let him play anywhere else does yeah that's the reason so my my bad is is colangelo for that exact reason um not much not much to say there but it's you know when sam hinkey starts the process and the theory was just to collect assets irrespective of their position they see what they did with jettisoning um jettisoning uh, noel and get pretty ordinary return for for noel and now they're just sabotaging the value of Okafor, and I just I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all. Um, why they wouldn't have been able to find a deal with him before, you know, this rookie extension, which is November the first, blows my mind. That comes out to sort of find that they just they kept their asking price too high, and you know, so I don't know exactly what those deals were, but that's kind of the, that's the kind of confirmed from Jalil and his agent about the communication Colangelo's had with his camp saying, hey, look, you're a former top three, top two, top three pick, and we're just not going to give you away. So it sounds like teams have been probably giving them offers they haven't liked, and they've turned them down, and somehow they didn't see the logical conclusion is that if you don't take him and then you don't um, offer the fourth-year rookie extension, he's going to be a UFA, and you basically just said he's now a rental. And and then you're not playing him. So just literally pick your f- four sort of mistakes with how they've handled it, not traded it, torpedoed the value, not playing him, and didn't extend him. And has this poor kid, you know, look, he, he got a probably a fair fair amount of criticism in his you know in his rookie season for mouthing off and doing some stuff. But he has been a model citizen, you know, this last last year, hasn't he? With um, diminished playing time and. Now with Embiid sort of taking the spotlight and Sarge kind of emerging and Rashawn Holmes having nice year, nice year and uh, 
uh, or sort of emerging sort of year last year, and he'll be back soon. And, and then Covington, right, another sort of forward position, and talk about another team stacked. And then you got your six ten point guard. He's been completely passed over. That's that's not easy for anyone, mm-hmm. let alone a number three draft pick to sit there and watch. You know your brothers, like your teammates, these boys you've sort of you know been playing with and living with and breeding with and traveling with for three years, and just to just sit there on the bench and get DNPs, you know, a coach's decision is hard, and he's kept it he's kept it shut, and I don't blame him for coming out and criticizing what's happened after the November one deadline and saying he just can't believe that he's here, he just needs to get out. So uh, shame on Colangelo for um, not handling this better. So that was my. That was my bad for for the last fortnight for sure. That was my top bad. Yeah, I have heard the trade rumor with him and Greg Munro swapping. So he goes to Phoenix, Greg Munro goes to Philly, and they maybe throw Jared Bayless in to, to match the salaries. I'm not sure how much uh, how much there is behind that. You know, you always see these sort of trade rumors uh, thrown out there. But that that was one that kind of made sense. You think obviously Phoenix. They're in full tank mode. They wouldn't mind taking a chance to him, see what he's got for the rest of the year. And Greg Munro could fit in there in Philly and uh, come off the bench and give them some good minutes, uh, either yeah. with Embiid or when Embiid sits uh, as well. So I'm just going to go on record as just because if it, the one in a thousand chance it becomes reality, I'll look like a genius, right? And if it doesn't happen, then we'll just forget that I ever said it. But I had a little bit of a brainwave. I think Greg Munro would fit nicely in Portland. I think he'd give them some much inside inside sort of presence. He can play that high post. You can have Dame or um, or McCollum sitting and still have enough, you know, inside-out game with, with Monroe. And look, I sort of thought that the salaries almost matched up perfectly if he did like a Myers-Leonard and uh, a Davis swap. So Davis isn't expiring, not much of a, not much of a player anymore. And Myers-Leonard has been a very kind of disappointing player to this point in his career. And Phoenix has said they don't want to take any money back, but I thought, you know, maybe there's a little bit of upside there in Leonard, you know, mm-hmm. playing, you know, behind Bender and Chris and, and even Len, but he'd at least get a chance to grow in practice and grow with these guys and maybe earn some minutes if he if he performs. So I thought that might make sense for both squads, um, just in, in Darren's fantasy land. And just could give, give Portland some oomph, some oomph in the center when uh, Nurkic sits, which they just sorely lack now that when when um, Nurkic sits, they just come so perimeter heavy, and they got all these wanky players who don't really do much of anything between, you know, Aminu and Turner and, and Harkless and stuff. Nice guys who are kind of supplementary players, but um, Monroe's proven he can play a kind of lead the scoring in a second unit. So that's my theory. Yeah, that's my. Theory. I think you're right. I mean, you look. You're certainly looking at teams that have struggling second units and and certain struggling it. second yeah. big men, and that's. You know, I don't think Portland are going to be wanting to give Zach Collins too many more minutes uh, this year, given what yeah. uh, what he's produced a negative PR, which is very very difficult to do, no matter how many minutes you're playing. The, the next bad I wanted to talk about, and this is a team I'm very disappointed in thus far in the season, is the Washington Wizards. Uh, they're five and five, and now I understand they're a little bit maybe like Cleveland, they're not quite hitting their stride yet. But this is a term that I just I get the feeling they think they're better than what they are and they need to sort of have an attitude adjustment uh, because there's there's absolutely no commitment to defence whatsoever from them. And they're not a good enough offensive team by any me- measure, in my view at least, uh, mm. to be able to get over mm. that. They're sort of surviving. Look, if Ida Porter has a big game, they, they're generally going to be okay. But if he's if he's down at all 
I'm just looking. They've they've since recovered seven and five. So I sort of put this down last week when they were five and five. But I'm still not liking what I'm seeing uh, from the Wizards as yet. Maybe it's a little bit of an overreaction. Markeith Morris has just started the season as well. Although Porter's missed some time, so there, there have been some excuses. But they have dropped some games. When they dropped the game to the Lakers, uh, they dropped the game to the Suns, uh, and there was another game at home, and I just sort of shook my head to see that they'd lost. Um, they're, Cleveland. They're, the they let, they, game, yeah, Cleveland right. put up 130. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So, and, and I mean, LeBron just did whatever he wanted uh, in that game. It's not the first opponent that LeBron's ever done that to, but uh, they, it certainly was was very stark. I mean, this is a team I thought could be pushing up to the uh, for the one seed. I think they're they're a long way away from that at the moment. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen them too much. Um, they just the team right where we said they're perfect. They're five. Their starting five are exactly who we think they are, and they haven't had a, you know, an, a new emergence. You know, Porter, Porter's still doing his thing. Beal's doing his thing. There's no no new information about this squad, so um, they really haven't been too interesting to me yet. But I, I'm with you in that it's been oddly inconsistent. And I go at a time when you know when Boston suffered that awful injury, and Cleveland is having all kinds of problems on defense. You just thought this would have been a time to feast on the on the schedule and sort of, you know, if they want to be a top two team or, you know, dare I say a number one seed, you would have liked them to sort of feast on the early season schedule. But, yeah, blowing games to the to the Lakers and the Suns and, and the Mavs, you just can't you just can't do that. So those are the games that I regret. But, um, yeah, I haven't, again, I haven't seen them too much in, uh, to sort of analyze anything what's been happening on the court, just other than and just what I did see was Kelly Oubre Jr. hasn't taken a step. That for me was, I think we talked in the offseason, is where is upside going to come from? You know, has this team, is last year's team going to hit its ceiling? You know, um, their bench didn't get measurably better. You know, I think this offseason, um, the theory that Jan Mahimi was going to come back and make a difference, well, he's playing 12 minutes a game and a 8.4 PER. You know, they signed freaking Tim Frazier, which I know you and I both hated. And again, he's averaging three points a game. You know, so I go, Jody Meeks, what? What's that about? You know, he was one-dimensional, and he was good at that one dimension five years ago. So I think they're probably where where I think just I took a taking a step back from the individual games that they've blown. They probably shouldn't have blown. Is I just the 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 second five just underwhelmed me on paper, and again I haven't seen anything to show anything different. No, that's right. I think when you and, and opposition point guards been just lighting them up all season and that that comes yeah. down partly John Wall hasn't been playing all that great on the defensive end but it's also just um, when when those bench units come in they just get blown off the off the court uh, so there's there's certainly some, some issues there that I think Scott Brooks needs to uh, work out but there's not really any moves they're able to make I mean we can sit there and pontificate about some teams and say well they can do this or that to sort of improve their team but Washington yeah. are in that difficult spot where even if they give away a first rounder, which they did last year, of course, for what was it, three months of Bogdanovich, um, which, you know, in hindsight, it's not a great trade anymore, even though I defended at the time. I know you wrote it off at the time. Um, that's the sort of move maybe they're going to look at doing again, and that, that didn't work last year. So you'd, you'd want to cancel against that again this year, and it's not going to be a great first round pick either so it's not like they've got a treasure trove of assets that they've been building up 
which is partly because Grunfeld's not a very good GM to state it mildly. So the, there's there's concerns. Well, I, I just don't think yeah. the ceiling of this team is as high as what I probably thought it was heading into the season. Well, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but who was drafted in the position of the, at the the number one draft pick, sorry, the first round pick they traded to get Bogdanovich? That was Kyle Kuzma. He's drafted at number oh, twenty-seven. Percent right. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So I kind of go. There's the there's a classic Grunfeld move that you yeah. know that's the, the 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 Grievous Vasquez right sort of the Bucks trade where he just you just, you, know, you fucking idiots. Mm. You just what, did you think you're gonna win an NBA title giving up a first rounder to get three months of bogger? You know, just come <laughs> on. Yeah, and not even the fun bogger. It's you know the, <laughs> this bogger. So it's just, that's the irony, right? Is this this is the why it's so bloody risky. Trading first round picks um, is now you're especially with the way the cap is at and the size of these the contracts players have and it's just you know all the craziness that was two you know two summers ago you know when Miles Plumlee and everyone else got rich it's just such a risk to trade first rounders when they would have held tight and um, you know done something different with some maybe you know some, I don't know D leaguers or minimum salaries or to get creative do something. And make a run, but no, like Bogger was going to put them over the edge, and there you go. Well, he could have had Kuzma. Sorry about that. Well, in in, in the Wizards' defense, he wouldn't have been smart enough to pick Kuzma anyway. So, um, I, I can't, yeah, I can't look, see that happening. Fair enough. Yeah, look, fair enough. But <laughs> but no, so you know, but, yeah, but even guys, but, I'm saying, guys played in the draft in the second round. Dylan Brooks, right, middle of the second round. He's playing. He's playing awesome. Playing some quality ball. Um, the other kid on the um, Charlotte, Dwayne Bacon, he's playing NBA minutes. You know, he's playing semi ojale has shown flashes in Boston. So, like, it's not just like it wasn't just Kuzma. Like, there's some players there, mm. you know, late first and then in the early into the second round who are, you know, there's four or five bites of the apple. So, anyway, you, you never know, but it just you just get frustrated with a team like this where you go, what are they trying to be? Are they just Portland East? Well, I wouldn't you know, be surprised they, if they, they so... do the same thing again, Daz, and just trade away their next year's first rounder for another player that doesn't really move the noodle, maybe improves their bench 5%, and you know, then you, you go into another draft without a pick. And they didn't have a pick. They didn't even turn up to the draft last year. No. Didn't have a pick. No. No, that's it. So I think yeah. this team, right, so this is a bit, I, I think the probably I'm a little bit less critical of them on their start. Um, and you are, but again, I, I have not seen the, again, where does upside come from this team? The upside is going to come from if guys like an auto porter take another step, you know, take a big leap forward and become a, you know, 25 and five sort of guy or something like that, or develop a, uh, an Eric Gordon, like, you know, aggressive streak into his game, which he hasn't shown yet. Or from Ubre, I guess is the youngest guy who's got the most upside. He's been playing 30 minutes a night. Pardon me, with um, with Morris just getting back, but you know, Ubre has definitely underwhelmed in his his thirty minutes per night. So I don't think his ceiling is very high. Mm. I go, this this team is this team. This they are. They'll probably win fifty two and be a pesky out, but they just I don't see them threatening anyone of of merit unless there's again the the long theorized boogie trade. Mm. And the and the more that New Orleans wins, the more, less likely. Uh, it is that Boogie's going to get moved, so... Yeah, I can't um, see them pulling the trigger on that one any time. I think everyone in Washington is probably hoping for... They all got their Ouija boards out trying to talk to this, the ghost of Rajon Rondo 
to, to see if he can just pollute <laughs> that fucking tank so badly and just, you know, <laughs> make things stink so bad down in the bayou that Boogie wants out in the next couple of months. So yeah. if I'm Washington, I'm pulling for Rondo to pull some shenanigans. Well, let's move on to the ugly, and uh, the ugly will bring about a bit of a mea culpa from me because you know I was high on the Utah Jazz heading into the season, but Daz, I'm I'm ready to wave the white flag on that one. Yeah, uh, they're not making the playoffs. Their offense, they scored twenty five points in the half against uh, Miami yesterday. They didn't put up a decent score today, but only against the Nets, who are the worst defense in the league, and everyone seems to be able to get off against the Nets. Uh, it's pretty bad, Daz, when, you, when your whole offense revolves around what a rookie does. So if Donovan Mitchell brings it, they're going to maybe get to 100. If he doesn't bring it, uh, they're not going to be getting anywhere near that. And when Ricky Rubio is your top scorer, uh, your ceiling's pretty low on the end of the floor. So it's been a pretty depressing. After, after a bright sort of start, it's just been quite depressing what's happened in Utah. And, and Gobert, he, he sort of got one string to his bow, just sort of running up and down the centre of the court and maybe getting the occasional lob or offensive rebound. But I, I was sort of hoping they may be able to feature him I just don't think he has the offensive game to even worry about featuring. The only bright spot, I guess, they did get 24 points out of Derek Favors today. So uh, maybe there's there's some upside there that they, they're going to be able to tap into. But uh, that's been a very depressing start, uh, to say the least, on offense. Have you, have you seen much Utah? I did. I saw quite a lot of them um, the first, you know, it's probably their first, you know, eight, nine games. So I saw them against the Thunder, the Clippers. I saw them in the, I think, opening night the team I was watching against the Nuggets. Um, so I, I watched quite a lot of them. And, yeah, they were a little bit better in the early on, in, I guess, the early days. But you're right. There's just way too much offense having to come from Ricky Rubio when he's – I think you and I were, were uh, tweeting or texting each other during the game a week week or so ago when, you know, literally uh, two or three times in a quarter, the fast break is Ricky Rubio coming down and shooting pull-up threes. Mm. Like when, when that's happening, you know you've got trouble – you don't have guys filling the lanes. You don't have anyone really with enough speed to get down the court, you know, to, to beat the defenses when you've got such an electric passer like Rubio. And you got nowhere to throw it. you got nowhere to go with it. You know, and um, Ingles is Ingles and Favors is Favors. And, yeah, so I, we, I think the most of the non-Daz world thought this team would be limited offensively. Um, yeah, I think you're right. That was predicated on could go bare, develop uh, – uh, different elements to his game, a, a bit of a face-up game, or you know, a um, little more creativity with his with his hooks, and you know, develop a bit of an inside-out game or something. But it's uh, no, it's been brutal. So I had no, I haven't watched them since I think the again, probably since they beat my my, my secretly little. Again, I don't know why I have this irrational like of the, the the Blazers, but I saw them beat up on the Blazers a couple of weeks ago. But I saw the highlights of the Rockets putting up one thirty-seven on them, so I go. It probably says more about the Rockets than the Jazz. Their defense but, uh, looks bad, but the defense isn't as bad as it looks. Because the, the problem is, because teams aren't taking the ball out of the basket, they're just nah. getting long rebounds, and it's straight away you're in transition. So uh, that's why they put, and particularly against a team like the Rockets, if you're not hitting your shots, they're going to put a big, big score up on you, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that was freak. I mean, that was just one of those freakish, though, James Harden... Um, NBA freakish. I'd, I'd love to benchmark. They took. They scored 137 points and only took 81 shots that game. Well, they took two you know, thirds of their shots were threes. <laughs> that's right. They were half of them that they were. So yeah, <laughs> Harden was seven for eight. Gordon was six for eleven. It just freakish. That's 60 percent from from three point land. 
Yeah. So anyway, yeah, no, Jazz are, um, yeah, high floor defense, I guess in theory. But um, yeah, Gobert, you know, tweaked. Uh, he'd be a fine. He's got a. You know, people were yeah. worried that was something deeper. It was just a. Either, yeah. Yeah, nothing, nothing too severe. Thank goodness. Mm. But um, yeah, look, I think maybe this this it's a transition season for them, right? It's the what do they have type of year. So you you want to see Mitchell play, and he's been playing well. And look, Rubio Rubio's playing well. So you guess in the you know in sort of the medium term, you say he's actually playing pretty well, and he's scoring the ball, and um, Favors is healthy, and just bleeping Rodney Hood. Again, he yeah, that's he, what I was going to say. Just every single year we have this the most. He looks like such an NBA player, but he's just can't put it together, can't stay healthy. Don't know what it is with this kid, but he's just that for me is the if Kelly Oubre is the ticket to, um, you know, Washington taking the next step. I thought Rodney Hood was the ticket to this team taking the next step and he has not answered the bell. Yeah, and the other thing is Joe Ingles not shoot. Oh, actually, I was going to say he's not shooting the ball that well, but he's still shooting forty three percent from three. So um, he's, Ingles is doing Ingles things. Yeah, it's like what. But Hood actually Hood's only missed a couple of games. So I exaggerate, but he need more than fifteen points a game and then the twelve I think that's PPR. What they wanted, they, they wanted yeah. more from Rodney Hood. They got a, a sign from Alec Burks too early in the season. He's done nothing since that one game. So they've they've had a few sort of mirage performances where you think ah oh, now now it's coming together and then it just sort of blows up again. Um, the next ugly I had Daz, before I throw to you to see what uglies you wanted to talk about was OKC. Uh, I've watched them a couple of times. I'm I'm officially worried about this team, particularly on the mm. offensive end. They just look really rudderless, and it's just a your turn, my turn offense. And uh, especially in a close game, Russ Westbrook just says, "Well, I'm taking over. I'm reverting to last year's Russ." Paul George just sits out in the corner. Uh, you know, Melo sort of sits up the top of the key. Maybe he'll get a he'll get a three pointer off or something like that. And it's sort of in between him, Melo and and Russ. And you know, Paul George just not. I think the other day he had fourteen shots, shot six or fourteen. He's not been shooting the ball all that well, but I, I think he's finding it hard as you would with Westbrook to get into a rhythm. So their their defense has been really good. They I think they're second in the league in terms of their defense so far. They were number one, and. Uh, but on on the offensive end, Boston's bring... number one now. If you can believe that, yeah, I know. Well, Boston, and that's that's a team, no doubt, we'll be talking about more and more um, as the season goes on. They've been an unbelievable hot start by them, but it's not quite jazz level on the offensive end. How bad they've looked, but particularly in crunch time, they just look clueless. I don't know if it comes down to Billy Donovan or just the fact that that Russ wants to take over, and that's just who he is. Uh, but uh, worrying signs to me because, again, I, similar to what I said about Cleveland, where's the improvement coming from? I just don't see that this team's going to necessarily change. I think this is who they are. Well, I don't... It's, is it who they are, but I go, the who is just Russell Westbrook. But I think that's what's so perplexing for me is that, you know, we talked about who, which alpha is going to be less alpha. And, we, you know, we thought that the incumbency is upon Russ because he has the ball all the time to change his game. And guess what? His usage is way down. His points are way down. He's, like, averaging less than 20 points a game. And he's, you know, he's close to one of the, if not the leader, he's close to the league leader in assists. You know, he's 10, more than 10 assists a game. So on the stats, right, on paper, in terms of sheer numbers, Russ is definitely not the... You know, he's not the ball hog that he was, you know, across 48 minutes. 
So I go, that for me should say that should, they'd be they'd be doing something. But it's the guess is this recurring theme with Russell Westbrook teams though is this, it's crunch time. I watched I haven't watched them since they um, Kyrie just took over. So the game at uh, home against the, against the Celtics, a nice lead at halftime and looked to be you know looked to be pretty you know the game was sort of in control. Um, Oklahoma just come off the a really nice trouncing of the Bucks in Milwaukee. They just beat up the Bucks in Milwaukee and came home and just collapsed in the second half against the Celtics. And had three really ordinary games and won the road. And they got they lost to the Blazers and lost to the Kings and lost to the Nuggets. It's not exactly world beaters, and just didn't execute. So the theory when you've got that much talent is Jesus. They still have a you know it's, this should be a fifty five plus team given their talent. But um, I. It's not their defense, is it? It's the, it's the offensive execution. I think it's when just... teams revert to hero ball, and we see Houston struggle down the stretch in close games, when you're just going to say, this guy's going to have the ball, well, teams know what's going to happen, and they can sort of plan for it. It's the teams uh, that, that share the ball around and have a bit of a system to their offense that I believe are going to play better in crunch time than these teams that just say, give the ball to Westbrook, give the ball to Harden and get out of the way. And that's that's certainly how it's played out the last two seasons. Yeah, well, look, I think, the again, I'm going to give teams like this a, a little bit longer leash because just, just imagine how different that is playing, you know, with George and, and Anthony versus playing with whatever, Abrinas and whomever last year. Right, so it's just just so different. So I'm actually going to give him a bit of a, a leash. And again, evidence data point of one is that they just rode the hot hand and fed the alpha Paul George against um, the Clippers, and Paul George went for 42. Mm-hmm. Right, I said, you know what, you know, that's um, they blew their 20 point lead, but then he said, you know what, let let the big dog take over, and he did. So they finally won a close game. That's been the knock. They'd blown out a couple teams like the Bucks the Pacers and the Bulls, but they hadn't won a close game at all. So, again, speaking to their fourth quarter execution. So I, I'm i going to give them a chance. So, again, I'm, I'm, I think it's less – it's close to ugly. It's definitely clunky. It's definitely not beautiful. I definitely say it's clunky. But, I, again, I'm just gauging by Russell's um, downtick in usage and, and scoring to say, you know, at least he's trying. In, in Russell's way, he's trying to move the ball around. He's trying. He's just so goddamn fast and so doesn't know how to run at half speed. Right? He just doesn't he doesn't have very good tempo management. You know, that's why it just frustrates me about Russ is he's hundred miles an hour or he's just pounding the uh, a hole in the ground like a jackhammer. Mm. That's what frustrates me about Russ, is that just not a he's a drive and draw and dish, right? He's not a he's not a facilitator of an inclusive offense. And that's what that frustrates me about the roster now is that you got the $25 million Carmelo Anthony standing in the corner playing the Kevin Love role. He's like waiting for the open ball. They're waiting, they're waiting for the open shot. So that just, just so underutilizes Carmelo. So a bit, a bit of that's on Russ. I think a lot of it's on Billy Donovan. And I don't think that's an easy freaking um, chess match to play to get these guys in a more fluid offense. It's just not how Russell plays. So, yeah, it's, it's going to take a while. If they, if they ever figure it out, it's, it's going to take a while. Mm. All right, Daz, well, what, what were your uglies that, uh, that you had? I'm looking at a couple here. Which ones did you particularly want to talk about? Well, a couple, maybe the two, um, maybe the last two I've added, but it's, uh, again, this is not a new, uh, not a new phenomenon. 
We saw it. Uh, we saw it all of last season. We saw it very early in this in this season as well, and it hasn't gotten better. Is um, Thibodeau's defense, the Minnesota defense, twenty um, seventh? I think they're rated uh, defense in the league at the at this point, and they got crushed by the freaking Phoenix Suns in the fourth quarter. And again, not too much more to add that we haven't said already, but here we are, you know, thirteen games into the season, and there is no sign that Tom Thibodeau's defense, of schemes or philosophies or approaches are at all working. And so that I've got to officially have to put that in the ugly camp because that could get ugly in Minnesota with, you know, the empty calories um, stuff that Andrew Wiggins has been doing. Carl Anthony Towns hasn't proven right to be much of an interior um, force, which we all know about. And now um, Jimmy Butler coming out and basically falling on the sword for what reason, I'm not sure but taking the blame himself um, for um, their collapse um, today with, you know, guys like um, TJ Warren and um, Devin Booker went nuts. They both, I think, at 30, 30-something. Both at 35, right? And so Butler, who was guarding or defending Booker, saying he needs to do a better job. So maybe he's trying to be a bit of a leader and show what accountability looks like. But, um, again, worrying sort of trends still in Minnesota – Look, they won a few games here, right? They're still seven and five as we speak, and they've had some quality victories. You know, they've beaten, you know, a pretty decent Hornets team. They've beaten the Heat on the road. You know, they pounded the Thunder a couple times early. You know, they beat the Jazz early. So they had some decent victories. Um, but then games like today, where you know they were non-competitive against the Warriors, and then a blow in the fourth quarter against the Suns, um, a really, really, really young Suns team, right? You know, that's just not. You just don't want to see that, and that's got to be really frustrating for Tibbs and Butler um, to you know go into a very young team like Phoenix and just get you know, basically get run off the, the court in the fourth. So that's look not ugly, but it's I think it's could it's got the makings of ugly. Yeah, I agree. I, I think what I'm seeing from them is uh, if if Wiggins has got a good offensive game going, I've seen this. It's not just a Wiggins thing. I'm calling it the James Harden effect where there's guys in the league that honestly, and I mean Harden to an extent you can forgive it because he is so good on the offensive end, but there's just guys that think, I need to reserve my energy for the offensive end. I can't be worrying about what happens on defense. So then they just sit there and they're like in the days, just waiting to get the ball back and yep, now's when I'm ready to play. So, uh, and, and certainly Towns and, and Wiggins, they're just absolutely clueless. You put them in the pick and roll and they're just, that's it, you're going to score. 100, 100 <laughs> or yeah, 99 times out of 100 unless you bounce it off your foot. Yeah, they're almost as bad as the Cavaliers in the pick and roll. No That's one's really... quite that bad. That's they're, <laughs> no. they're approaching some. We real... don't need sticky notes yet for them, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Yeah. The Cavs are gonna. I think the Cavs are going to break the record for number of finger pointing on on defense this year. Was, were you supposed to be there? <laughs> Who's got this? Come guy? on, man! Come on, man! Yeah. <laughs> Look, the other thing, the other, the other ugly. I'll add. And it hasn't been that many. It hasn't been that ugly. Obviously, the Cavs D has been ugly and a little bit of ugly. I, I don't like. I don't like Kevin Durant jawing with Joel Embiid and more F-bombs coming from him. Like, fucking act like you've been there. That's just more that's more frustrating and niggling than ugly. But mm. I think what's going to happen now, this just, uh, you, you might have seen, it's probably more the news, less about, you know, ugly in terms of basketball. But um, Northern's Noel had a DNP CD, yep. you know, and I go, oh, boy, here we go. The Northern's Noel situation is just another example of a, you know, front office 
that has not handled the player very well. Uh, and I don't know how much blame there is to actually pass onto the onto the Mavs here. And this is a you know player who was holding out for obviously a bigger contract and thought he was worth more. So there's a, I'm definitely not saying it's not culpability on on Nerlens and his his camp, but just as we said in the off season, when he had that sort of impasse, he get publicly frustrated by not getting a big contract and then having no choice but to take the qualifying offer. So basically playing a year on a team who's going to win, maybe they'll win 18 games this year. And I go, that was just the makings of a disaster of a guy desperate to get paid. And he's got basically going to be just praying he doesn't get injured. Now he's getting benched. And you go, boy, oh boy, what's that going to do to the locker room? What's that going to do to Dirk? You know, what's that going to do to, um, you know, does he have any trade value, you know, um, at, the, at the deadline? Again, it's just an asset because he's going to be torpedoing in value the more that he sits. And so, look, definitely a two-way street here with the relationship between player and team. But at the end of the day, the team is the team and they're the they're the owners and they're the managers. And just this is not, they've not handled this well at all. So I just think that's, again, watch this is a giant red flag for uh, – for something to get quite ugly. Yeah, I did notice the other day, uh, before he had the DMP, I think he played about five minutes, and uh, I'm going to mangle the guy's name, but Salah Majiri, I think it is, uh, played centre. Actually, he played quite well. That was in the game against the Wizards. And then uh, next game, Noel, uh, as you as you pointed out, DMP, CD. So that's not going to get any better. And it, it's a similar situation in many ways to Okafor. And obviously they are linked in many ways, coming both coming from Philly, that uh, now you've got a guy where you, you sort of tanking his value by not playing him. But even when he was playing, I'll tell you, I watched... The little bit that I've watched the Mavs, and I don't think I'll be watching much Mavs basketball this year, but uh, he just looked completely disinterested, uh, like, as you said. As we expected. Yeah. As we expected, right? There's a guy playing. He's a guy playing not to get hurt. When you're going into this year, he comes off a history of an ACL tear, right? Um, we know that. He thought he was worth certainly way more than he than he was, was gotten, uh, than he was offered. And it just it just set itself up for this impasse. And look, it probably you know I, I I do trust in Rick Carlisle in this situation, so that's not exactly the blame on Carlisle. I, I don't mean to play that out at all, but this situation, the relationship could get could get really really ugly. When um, Carlisle sits a guy, probably he has good reason to say, basically saying you have to earn your minutes. If you're not hustling and competing, you're not going to play. So um, hard not to defend that. And um, we'll see. Uh, you hope that a guy like Noel gets his head figured out and realizes that if he doesn't play 100% and, quote-unquote, put himself at risk of injury, he's going to get a uh, Roy Hibbert treatment in the offseason, not the Miles Plumley treatment. You know, he's going to be um, on the outside looking in. So I think it's, it just came probably the ugly part is more, again, the sad part is the is that Dirk has to endure this sort of situation. Mm in his, what I hope is his final season. I can't imagine him coming back and playing another year of this train wreck. No, um, but, probably wish he hadn't uh, come back this year. I can't believe it, As yeah. we said, Frank and Dirk, when we watched it, it was, it was sad to see. It was sad to see, yeah. What did you say? He looked like a character from Minecraft. Yeah, it looked like Minecraft, didn't he? All, you know, poor Dirk, it took him, you know, 11 steps to go between three-point line and three-point line. It takes Giannis... You know, one dribble to go from the half court to a dunk. So, 
you know, the, the league has passed him by, sadly. Yeah. Um, and, but, um, yeah. So, ug- ugly brewing in um, uh, in the New York situation with their bigs and ugly brewing with the relationship with Okafor mm. and ugly brewing with the relationship with Noel. So, all interesting sort of things. We'll see how these kind of pan out for um, the trade deadline. All right, Des. Well, let, let's move on. I'll give you a quick question without notice slash a quiz question. Which team in the NBA has the longest active losing streak at the moment? Active as we speak. Yep. So who's on the, the, um, the longest losing streak in the league at the moment? The Mavs, right? It would be the Mavs? No, it's not the Mavs because the Mavs beat the Wizards. Oh, that's right. beat the Wizards. Um, who's, who's at the bottom? It's not the Lakers. Um, the Bulls. No. I don't know. I give up. Who's it? The LA Clippers. Oh, the oh, Lost five nice. in a row after starting 72. Uh, sorry, after starting five and two, they've now lost five in a row. The injury bug is starting to bite, sadly, which we thought may yeah. be the problem for them too. Dosage's out. Uh, Gallinari's missed the last couple of games. Uh, Patrick Beverly's now injured. They're playing. I mean, they've got no Austin Rivers missed the game as well. So Sedaris Thornwell, I think he actually started the game for them. So they are absolutely a bare bones. This was the worry about this team. It was nice to see them start 5-2, yeah. but they sustain it. They're asking Blake Griffin to do far more than what I think he's capable of doing night to night, and they're putting a lot of pressure on Blake Griffin at the moment. Um, and you can ju- it's just disaster waiting to happen, I feel like. Yeah, well, there's another coach that could whose seat could get warm, but that's a tough coaching gig, right? I, you know, say what you know about Doc and his... Um, as Bill Simmons has pointed out, his work ethic over the years, uh, let's just say it would be dubious. Um, so, but yeah, it's like a coach whose seat could be warming up. But I, you know, I, on the flip side, I go, that's, well, that's what Blake signed up for. So he gets 30 some million dollars a year. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think it has an impact on Blake, the man, Blake, oh, Blake no, the player. Oh, no, of course not, but it's the yeah, physical is a, worries that I, I, I Yeah, that's, think, that's what I, that's yeah, And, and yeah. you, you sort of predicted that you said he'd come out and play balls out, and he has, uh, but uh, how long can he sustain it for? Well, he's, he, I think even Blake's, you know, just he's going to get sore shoulder, you know, going nine for 27. You know, he's going to get, he's going to get Westbrook elbow if he keeps doing that. That's probably the biggest the biggest pain point, but uh, yeah, yeah. When he's shooting twenty seven times a game, you've already lost. So he's been wickedly inefficient as well mm. um, during the, during the losing streak. So yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. That passed me by. You're right. Um, yeah, it was it just surprised me when I was running through the the standings. In I saw the L five on their streak, and I thought they have lost five in a row. So that's been a, yeah. And and mo- and there's only been a couple of close games. There's been some blowouts in there as well. So certainly some worries there for the Clippers. But I believe you had a bit of a quiz that you wanted to run past me. Yeah, I did. So um, uh, again, another milestone in the Bucks game, but I won't I won't talk about my Bucks, but. Um, if you would have seen um, the headlines, Lonzo Ball um, hit his first couple of three-pointers. He came into the game shooting, you know, 29% from the floor and 21% from three-point line, and he hit three out of five today. Mm. And he had triple-double in 19, 13, and 12 or something like that. But officially became the youngest player in NBA history to, to record a triple-double. So um, it was obviously before that was LeBron. Yep. And so... Um, so yep, he had a night. Actually, had a pretty nice game overall. It was good to see Lonzo 
Alonzo play, but it got me thinking who other sort of youngest ever sort of things. So put your put your thinking cap on. Um, so can you think about the the youngest player to ever score seventy points? Well, that would be uh, Booker. Yep, good one, good one. That was obviously Devin Booker Devin last Booker year. Last so well year. done. Okay, yep. It's the only it's the only older one I'm going to ask. But um, so can you think of the oldest player? in NBA history to ever score 70 points. Wow. And it's not Wilt Chamberlain. Oh, and it that wasn't Kareem. Exactly yeah. who it was going to be. But uh, 70. That's yeah. A lot. I know Dave. Did Dave Robinson get 70 in a game? I remember he, he was, did. That's yeah. it. It is. <laughs> it is admirable. That's why I thought you'd a little bit of a, a, little bit of a, a Well, the story behind that is uh, he needed to get that to win the scoring title from Shaq. And that's right. <laughs> they just fed him all night. He was shooting threes and everything, and he just couldn't miss. Um, <laughs> so yeah, seventy points in the night, and he ended up, I think, by like ten points, ended up uh, winning the scoring title. That's a good. I didn't know that history, but I, I remembered it now. So uh, yeah. So uh, and then so the other few youngest um, youngest ones. Do you know who the uh, who was the youngest MVP ever? I would guess Magic Johnson or LeBron. It was not Magic Johnson. Was it no. LeBron? It was not LeBron. All right, we have one more guess. Uh, Tim it's Duncan. a modern. It's a modern era, though. It's the last. No, it wasn't Duncan. He played. Remember, Duncan played all four years in college. Oh, I would so have been Durant probably then, if it would be the next guess. Nope. No. Okay. You're, well, I'm the no, you're in the right sort of time. Derek Rose. Oh, of course. Well, D Rose was only twenty-two in a like a few hundred, couple hundred days. So you forget he Derek won it. Rose. Tried, I've tried to yeah. wipe it from my memory, but uh, I suppose yeah, he wasn't I so know bad you then. don't like you don't like the D Rose man. He was a he was a beast. He was power and speed, and he was kind of the he was John Wall before John Wall. I think he was good. Uh, was, there's no doubt he was a good player. Oh, it's he was explosive. His knees, yeah. but uh, just not. Not uh, not a guy that uh, I've got a lot of admiration for. Yeah, of course you don't. I got two more for you in the youngest ever category. So, who was the youngest ever scoring champ? And it also was not. It wasn't LeBron. Who was the youngest ever scoring champ? Uh, Jordan. It was not Jordan. Because no, we're talking modern era again, aren't we? With the younger guys. Yeah, is a modern era kid. Yep. Uh, still doesn't really help me. Uh, I'll say. Has Durant ever won? I'll go Durant again. Oh, nice one. Okay. It is Kevin Durant. He was the youngest scoring champion. Um, and I've just lost all my data on it. I just <laughs> scrolled down. And I've... <laughs> You're going to have to Google it yourself here, people. Um, sorry. Gone. Sorry. Oops. That's gone. <laughs> and the... Uh... <laughs> so you've got the Googles. You've got the wikis there. Yeah. Um, the last one, and this is a... We have talked about him tonight, right? But he, um, we've talked about him uh, in various forms. My last one is, who was the youngest player to ever record a season of 25 and 5? So, right, the 20 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds. And so, you know, it's the, it's the Oscar Robertson sort of, um, sort of uh, uh, category. Who's the youngest ever to score 25 and to average 25 and 5 for a season. And we've talked about him. Uh, well, Both in the spreadsheet and in the conversation. I can go. I, I was going to say Westbrook, but it's not Westbrook. 
He has done it, but he wasn't the youngest. Yep. Uh, a good guess. So he's one of the four that has done it. He wasn't the youngest. For a full season, obviously. For a full season. Well, I'm going through here. Uh, no, I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss. Uh, it's not, not LeBron. It's not LeBron. not LeBron. He has averaged it, but he wasn't the youngest. Oh, I'll have one more guess. But you're good. You got, so it was um, Oscar, LeBron, mm. Russell Westbrook, and this kid, this guy. We've talked about him, and he's he's still active in the league. Not Dirk. No. <laughs> Dirk five assists. That's what put that's what put me off the t- talking about him. All right, who who was it? Tyreek Evans. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So we'll talk about him more next week. And well, we haven't underrated. talked about him yet tonight, but we had talked about him before we got on there. That's right. <laughs> we talked about him before. That, I know, I was a bit dodgy. So anyway, there's a thousand different versions of Youngest Ever. So anyway, it was just Lonzo got me thinking about Youngest Ever. You did pretty well, though, with um, getting KD and getting um, uh, getting Booker and the Admiral for the, to score 70. So, yeah. Yeah, well, the so, Booker one's fresh in my mind, and, and the Admiral one. I just, I, as I said, I've always remembered that game because uh, I knew it was a it was a really good race uh, to see who got the the scoring title that year. So, and it looks like it's going to be a good race to see who gets the scoring title this year. Does I think that's going to be uh, the, the um, I think Harden will go down a little bit once Chris Paul comes back, but uh, I think Giannis and um, the Zinger going head to head. Wouldn't that be help for both of them uh, on a yeah. scoring title? And that's that's uh, you know the Knicks. Oh, I mean they've started well the Knicks, but I, I don't know that they'll be having much more to cheer about other than that that sort of a scoring title or individual honours for the Zinger going forward. So um, that that's going to be something to keep an eye on. As will the MVP race. I think that's wide open. I think your Kyrie Irving call is looking better by the day. Yeah, look, he's the dark horse, isn't he? But man, yeah, Boston eleven and two. And uh, it's a game we didn't talk about that could have easily almost dominated our, our good conversation. But they were down 16 and, and came back and won without Kyrie when he got he got bashed in the face, didn't he? Um, yeah. Two minutes into the game and they well, came back. Well, he for that. With Horford, Horford didn't play and then he, he mm-hmm. went down and there you go. I'm like, just the, oh, I just, it just makes me sick, right? Because I go, that's the team that Giannis is going to rise up and be, you know, <laughs> you know finally have the, you know, our first decent play, first sort of MVP caliber player since Kareem, and now it's going to be facing the fucking Celtics, you know, for the next <laughs> decade. So I just see games like that, and I go, oh, God. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so the, your point about MVP race and scoring leaders, it'll be it'll be fun. I think uh, the Zinger versus Giannis will be um, back to you know, one of the, the themes that we have is just love to see some contrast. And, my God, could you find two more diabolically different styles of play for um, for guys who are six foot eleven and taller, but to score thirty points a game and block two shots and get ten rebounds a game, just to have such radically different games, um, to do that, that just that fascinates me. Yeah, that the Zinger is a seven foot three jump shooter, and Giannis is the six eleven point center. Well, you got so, one's the force of nature, and one guy is just a much more finesse about his game. Just a um, skilled finesse, yeah. Yeah, 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 hitting the jumpers and that. So, and, and both really playing well in the clutch, and, and both playing um, good basketball to watch. It's good on the Knicks, yeah. Good on the Knicks. Um, yep. Good story. I kind of think guys like 
Bernersek deserves to have a good season given what he had to endure um, last year. So again, I don't love to giving too many kudos to the Celtics or the Knicks or the Lakers, but I, I'm, I'm happy for that team and happy for Zing. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the Celtics too. They 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 play the Raptors tomorrow morning. So if you're up and about earlier up in the morning, seven thirty, that tips off. Um, maybe while you're getting the kids ready for school, whack the NBA TV on because I think that'll be a decent game. Oh, it's a Sunday game, right? So that'll be mm. an early one. Um, anything else interesting tomorrow? It looks like that's the that's about it. Uh, I mean, Pacers, Rockets, Pacers have sort of come back down to earth lately in Pistons heat. Uh, the Pistons sort of uh, probably another team they need to get to because they've had a, a good start to the season. They're yeah. second best record or equal second best record in the league, nine and three. Uh, and uh, obviously, Greg Monroe's free throw shooting woes were seemingly behind him. He did have an zero for seven game the other day, so still keep an eye on that. Yeah. But, uh, Drummond, you mean? Yeah, Drummond. Sorry, yeah. It's all right. Uh, Munro, of course, him and Drummond linked together from their time in the Pistons. So a bit of a Freudian slip there for me, Daz. But okay. so any other games that you know of coming up this week that you wanted to? Yeah, look, it's in the category of contrast. I'm looking forward to uh, Toronto at Houston. So that's um, that's on. That'll be our Wednesday morning. Um, so Toronto at Houston will be good. And um, I think even even your old boys, I wouldn't mind watching them. Sort of seeing San Antonio. On the same night, San Antonio plays at Minnesota uh, as the Pistons play at the Bucks. So, our, us being homers as we are, I think that'll be, that'll be an interesting day on our Thursday. And then, kind of the marquee matchup of the week, right, would be Golden State at Boston. Yep. In, um, that'll be our Friday. Let's hope Friday for uh, Kyrie, or so. and, Kyrie and Hall for the uh, healthy and uh, yeah. back up in the yeah, let's yeah, I hope he's back up and about. And again, you've got an interesting game where you, you guys play um, Spurs, play OKC, also late in the week next week. So it's a big week for the Spurs. If they oh, can... I think the Spurs will really struggle in the OKC matchup. Uh, given Not the your favorite matchup, and, yeah. Uh, we, we need Kawhi back to, to state the blue and the obvious. Uh, can't happen soon enough. But uh, look, if, they can stay, if the Spurs can stay afloat, and they're, they're still 7-5 now, so it's certainly not a disastrous start by any means. If they can stay afloat at the round sort of 14 and 10, something like that, when he comes back, I think Pop will be more than happy. Yeah, that. we can sounds we can about move, right. Moving onwards and upwards. Okay, Daz, we'll leave it there. I'm, I, we are looking forward. We'll, we'll probably try and uh, catch that Warriors-Celtics game and maybe break that down in a bit more detail next week if we do get a chance to have a look at it. But uh, And hopefully there might be some more other news to talk about. Greg Munro might find a home uh, and uh, we'll see uh, what other movement there has been made in the league because it sort of seems outside of the sort of we know how good the Warriors are that there's been a bit of a state of flux and and teams sort of coming up that we didn't expect that maybe some teams are going poorly we didn't expect. So we'll see if that turns around next week. Yeah, I think we should keep an eye on the Pistons and Magic again. I think if Aaron Gordon has another great week, maybe we deserve a little more, mm. a little more airtime for him. His game is, uh, boy, he's certainly going to be in the most improved category. And again, this, this Raptors team, you know, I, you know, I, I couldn't believe I was saying it, but I'm, I like what I've been seeing from the Raptors. So let's, I'm gonna have a keen look at them against Houston, see if they can slow down the juggernaut there. So, mm. um, yeah, stuff. interesting stuff this week. Yep. Okay, pal. Good stuff, mate. All right, we'll talk in uh, next weekend. See you, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye.